Hello, and welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. I am your host, Hamdi Calderon. And today we're talking to Chris Castig, co-founder of Consult. We start with an exploration of Chris's own crypto journey, back when he first heard of Napster, the P2P file sharing application, and soon after Bitcoin. As a musician then, he describes those innovative technologies being influential in his decision to study new media, specifically distributed systems culture. Furthermore, Chris is now extending on those values by creating Consult, a community chat app where you own your identity, data, and decentralized chats. Additionally, using signal level protection to protect your privacy while using the app. Beyond self-sovereignty and privacy, Consult seeks to reduce the noise from apps like Telegram and Discord to provide a better experience overall for Web3 communities. It's now in closed beta to be able to co-build that future with communities. As always, there's lots to unpack here. So without further ado, let's get started. I grew up playing music. I was a music major. I love music. Everything was about music. I thought tech was just for nerds and like coding was like the last thing on the planet I wanted to do. Um, at the same time, when I was growing up, um, I came across Napster. I don't know if you remember. Uh, and Napster was this really, like, it changed the world today. So anyone who's younger may just already benefit from being able to go online, the internet, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, YouTube, and listen to any song you want. Before that, just like over a decade and a half ago, right? like not that long ago, the only way to get music was to go to a record store. And, you know, as like a teenager, I would go and it would be so much money. <laughs> like that was like, like two weeks of allowance and you just have like one album at a time. So the moment for me as just someone who loves music and who loves being in bands um, to see this technology come along Napster all of a sudden with Napster, what, th what they did, the key innovation that really changed the world was allowing me to connect directly to you or any one person and swap music, right? So we could swap music over the internet the same way we might just share files, right? Swap, right? We don't have to go through the middle person and that's called peer-to-peer -peer or P2P, right? So this idea of you and me, we don't need a middle person, right? Um, that blew my mind. And as a musician, just seeing all the possibilities for as a creator, how I could directly communicate with my fans or like potential fans um, and learn about new bands was like eye-opening. So I immediately um, switched, my, switched my study path. I ended up doing my master's in something called new media. My study was distributed system culture. So what that means is like the culture of people in P2P networks. So what do P2P networks do to society? How, you know, how does BitTorrent change music? Um, and during that study, right around the time, that's when the Bitcoin white paper was released. And so when I saw Bitcoin and I was studying P2P networks, I thought, okay, if Napster is P2P, person-to-person -person music sharing, I get it. Like Bitcoin is person-to-person -person money. Okay, right? And 
That got me interested enough that when I saw Web3 or what we're calling Web3, the term Web3 has been around probably since about 2017. Um, I had been to, there used to be a Web3 summit. There probably still is in Berlin. Um, is when I first went to the Web3 summit in Berlin in 2017, I want to say 2018. And, um, and this idea of Web3, I saw Juan May speak, who's um, one of the founders of Protocol Labs and Filecoin. And the way he described Web3 to me was like, Okay, this is Napster, then Bitcoin. Web3 is this evolution of peer-to-peer for everything. You and I can come on the internet and we can share private information. We could share value. We could share art. We could have organizations that share things. And there's no, my summary from someone who just really loves music to really enjoying the freedom of co-owning and co-creating with uh, strangers on the internet and, and fans and communities. That's wonderful. I think you're actually the first person that has come on here and that has quoted Napster, just generally. And then, well, yeah, I don't think I'm really hosting a lot of, you know, young people. I mean, certainly, I think the range of people that are involved in the space of Web3 is quite diverse. Uh, you know, it runs the gamut from really young to really old. Um, I, I remember Napster. I use Napster. So I'm familiar with it. And it's really nice to hear you talking about it as an influence, both of the general idea of decentralized networks, right? Like P2P networks where there's no central authority. And then this idea of how this could work, both from the creator's perspective, but also from a distribution perspective. Um, It's also interesting to hear your uh, kind of thoughts that you shared about how this could impact creators and their connections to their listeners and to their audience and to their fans. Because... I remember Napster came down because a lot of uh, you know uh, lawsuits against them from musicians, but obviously these were the much bigger musicians that were losing money because people were uh, using it instead of going to buy their CDs, right? Uh, but it's really interesting to hear that there have been, may have been a smaller subset of that group of creators, musicians, that actually thought about it differently, and now obviously. We have tools, as we know, that allow for those creators to take ownership and to connect with their audiences much more deeply. So that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that story. And of course, bridging that to Bitcoin. So tell me a little bit about what it is that that helped transition. You talked about going to school, learning about new, new media. Tell me a little bit about how that then continued and continued to evolve through your education studies and maybe the work that led to console. Sure. Um, my last, I've always been interested in startups and creating, you know, um, and just experimenting with apps. Once I taught myself how to code in boot camps before 2010, like that wasn't really a thing. Most people learned how to code just kind of through spaghetti at the wall, as they say. And, um, yeah, I didn't, didn't physically throw a spaghetti at the wall, but it kind of felt like that late night till 5 a.m. just making coffee at midnight, like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> just like writing code and just trying it. And um, I learned that a lot of people around me who were really good at coding had a really similar experience. Um, and so around that time, I started teaching people how to code. I noticed with my own interests that any 
anything that I wanted to learn, I felt like if I give myself a cap of 30 days, I could like kind of become like just dangerous enough to like learn some Python code or to learn how to make a certain type of app. You could always like within 30 days, you could do like just something to get to get to prove, you know, to prove to yourself that you can like be dangerous, like you could do something. And so <laughs> I had a similar friend who really agreed that that was a great way to learn was just like, give yourself deadlines and give yourself a project. And we created a company out of it. The company is called one month. It's still exists at one month.com. And we created a way that you could learn to code in 30 days. We started this in 2013. Um, we were lucky enough to go through Y Combinator and get the support of that community. And yeah, um, it was just really exciting. And, you know, um, I left it two years ago because I was just so hungry to build in web three. And for me, I think just adding value to the future of the internet, um, adding what, what I see is just like necessary features like with console, which we'll get to, I guess, but, you know, just seeing how there's all these communities and in my eyes, they're, they're all building on discord. They're all building on telegram and the, there's a lot of great things about these platforms. Like some of the things I mentioned, they're able to bring together people from around the world to collaborate, to chat. It's really cool. You know, it, it is really a great opportunity. And yet the limitations of the Web2 technology for building the future of the internet are, are astoundingly clear. Building Web3 on a platform like Discord, where it's not open source, where you don't own your data, where it's very centralized. You know, if we look at, for example, with Twitter recently, all of the real world kind of issues, I would say, um, to, to freedoms that Elon has flared up, you know, in owning Twitter. And, and I say this very careful with my words because whether you agree or disagree with what he's doing, you know, actually I'll say, you know, in some ways I, I'm very optimistic for, for his knowledge. He's a smart dude, right. Coming into the space and the things that he could bring. I'm like, I think that there's some really interesting things that we're already learning and things that are happening, but the real, whether you agree or disagree, the real wake up call with what we're seeing with Elon and Twitter is the power that one person has, one very central person, any one person with any one app to purchase that app and to dramatically change the lives of, of millions, potentially billions of people. That is the real issue. Too much power in one person's hand. And we've been, I'd say, somewhat hypothetically, Web3 somewhat hypothetically leans against this centralization of power in its arguments, right? We want decentralization is what Web3 says. And we have some cases of the past. We have Snowden shows that centralization of power, you know, was a big privacy leak. We have the Cambridge Analytica showing that Facebook really effed up basically sharing everybody's data. So that kind of raises full circle to like what we're creating when we're building a Web3. The way I would describe it is the idea is to make apps that can buys it or not, that it, that it, the app itself is stronger to run, even if the founders disappear. And that's what we're building with console. We're building a community platform that will exist and live on through open source code, through the way that we decentralize the platform so that it exists and that the users can own their data, that the users can own their community 
and that they don't have to trust us anymore. And that's a huge shift. And it's just like for anyone building or interested in the space, that's just like, it's day one. And, um, I, you know, I, I can see all this as the future for the next five, 10 years. And that was just why I was so happy. It was a long story <laughs> about, about how I got here. But, you know, last, last, uh, about a year and a half ago, when I left my last company, this was just the opportunity. It was like, this is a new frontier. And I just, yeah, couldn't be more happy spending time building this future, future, uh, stride of the internet. Yeah, I could see the appeal. You know, one of the things that to me is both, uh, attractive but scary is the fact that it's such a public space to build in. So as you're developing anything, let's talk, let's say console, you're going to get people that have visibility into your development process, right? You may have some public channels, you may have some documentation, and it gets a lot more publicity than maybe if you were building one month, right? Before, where there isn't like this community that comes around it, and both is cheerleader and, you know, uh, judge and jury saying, oh, why did you do that? You could have done this. So it's quite interesting in the ability to actually get uh, feedback very quickly. It's really interesting and to uh, hear opinions in terms of how uh, decentralized social, decentralized applications should operate because the space of Web3 of crypto keeps evolving, right? We've seen uh, the progression you talked about, Bitcoin, the white paper, and where we are now to where we started, very different in the way that we organize, uh, in the way that we share information, in the way that we uh, capture, uh, you know, financial primitives. Like all of this is it's, it's changed night and day from where we were, and I think it will continue to evolve. So it's really interesting to see the community be so deeply involved and care so much as you're developing your products. So you started to introduce console. Give me a brief introduction. What is console? And we kind of, uh, I think, early talked about it uh, framed by Telegram and Discord. Maybe we could also include in that introduction, what are the shortcomings of Telegram and Discord? And what does console hope to achieve by being this new uh, alternative? So console, we are creating, I would say co-creating with our team and with the communities that use console, we're co-creating the greatest community chat app platform that exists. And we are on a progressive scale of right now we're in beta and we're progressively working to get to a vision of what we believe would be, you know, the ingredients for that. And so at the, the very top level, it's like, Users, most people just want an app that helps them focus, concentrate, have meaningful connections. So that's like the the ninety nine percent that just needs to be a slick, amazing experience. And I'll talk a little more about that in a second and how that differentiates between existing platforms. Underneath the piping, like underneath the hood, basically, we also need to hit Web three principles. And so those Web three principles of our tech stack meme that your identity, identity is a big important part of console, that you own your identity, which is basically I think your username and password. You own your identity, your username and password, and we do not have access to it. We do not have access to the data because it will be encrypted using signal level, the signal protocol, which is the highest level of uh, 
privacy protocol that exists. Um, so again, you own your identity, decentralized chat so that we don't own the chat. Um, really the highest level, signal level protocol, privacy, and then gradually open sourcing the code, building in public so that the code exists and there's transparency. You don't have to worry, like with pretty much every other chat app, you don't have to worry that we're doing anything behind the scenes with your data. If you can't see the code, you don't know what the company's doing, you know with WhatsApp's doing. When you type, they can say it's private, they can say it's end-to-end, but if you don't know the code, you don't see it. And that's not even just like my own conspiracy theory. Literally, this has happened many times. You know, look at the Snowden revelations where he he proved that. Look at the Cambridge Analytica. You know, just look at these these issues of data being basically bought, sold, manipulated in ways that the users uh, weren't aware. I mean, look at FTX. In a way, it's like the same thing. Like because you can't see FTX's code, people weren't aware for the way their money was being used. So bringing transparency to it first at the code level um, and the organizational level, all of that really helps. So um, kind of zooming out. And then I'll just kind of like summarize everything I said and then hand it back to you. I would say zooming out, all of that plumbing is like the necessary ingredients for building an app to be successful over the next five to 10 years. I really strongly believe that that's the way we're going. Um, and even the big incumbents are in at the end of 2022 right now are coming around. Just do some quick searches, Gmail, Apple, all bringing end-to-end encryption to their products. Facebook Messenger by default. This is all in the news. There's stories around this and the why. I won't get so into it unless you want to double click. But this is a trend happening. And because they see, they see what that who's coming to displace them. And so anyone building now, I think, has an opportunity to really have this plumbing. So that plumbing, the Web3 principles is super important. Um, and then to just answer your question about what Discord does wrong, what Telegram does wrong. Um, oh my God. They're noisy. They're so freaking noisy. I can't even use them. I have I have like 80 Discord groups. I don't know how to get at replies to me in you know the Orange DAO community that I'm in without getting every single notification. I don't know how to just get events of when a vote is coming up for a certain DAO that I'm in. I get every single notification or I get no notifications. I get a lot of spam. All of these are user user issues that make it hard for me to have, I mean, why do I come to these platforms? I want to have meaningful connections with people, right? That are running events with people that are selling products with musicians that I want to help fund their NFT release. Right. And I can't connect with the people that I want to connect with most because there's just a ton of noise. And so uh, this is like the number one, if you are fed up with the noise and the spam on these platforms and you want something that's organized and focused, console, that is our number one user issue that we are looking to focus, um, that we're looking to eradicate and we are testing in beta. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a very ambitious goal. It's a, uh, it's a very ambitious um, layered cake inside with some really nice icing on the outside that I think will be delicious um, and somehow healthy. So, <laughs> console cake. I feel console like that's cake. a celebratory something. It could be a digi fizzy, right? Like claim your console cake for your console NFT. Anyways, I like that a lot. I might we might actually use that. That's a really good one. I'll yeah, console it. Cake. yeah, I'm a yeah, big like fan. Of, I'm a big fan of cake. So you know, there it goes. Uh, full disclosure. I'll, I'll definitely get in on that. You know, I completely agree. I agree with you. You know, on this uh, signal to noise ratio, 
Web3 is very noisy for you know much of what you exactly said and even some of what I was talking about earlier where you're building a product, there's that transparency, that visibility, there's that community that comes around it. All of that creates noise and, 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 and works both ways, right? It's that noise from the consumer or the DAO member level where there's just so much happening. You're like, I don't know where to go because I have 80s, and I do this as many of the discords that I'm in, 86, 186 missed notifications. I'm like, how is that possible? There's not 186 people that needed to talk to me. So how is that possible? And that in itself disincentivizes me to go in. It actually uh, makes me want to go into those channels even less. I'm asking people, DM me. Heck, I'm asking people, <clears throat> email me. Email now is the clearest signal than anything else. I, I feel like we're moving backwards. So I think that there's definitely room for improvement in surfacing the signal to noise, right? And um, especially when you're coming in and you're new, when you're joining a DAO and their uh, way to communicate with members is Discord, that is very off-putting. Like if I am new to my journey and I don't know where to get started, that's going to very quickly either turn me off or make me very apprehensive of what it is that I'm getting into. So it's great to hear that you're kind of taking on uh, that challenge specifically with console, maybe you could walk us through uh, some of the communities that are using it now and what's some of the feedback that you're getting from them. Yeah. So right now we're in beta and if anyone's listening and you would like to be considered for the closed beta, you can come to our website. It's console, C-O-N-S-O-L-E, console.xyz. And when you come to the website, you'll see an option to start a community where you can apply. We'll review all of those and we'll be in touch. Um, and or if you're an individual, you can get on the wait list. And so the communities that are coming right now, what we're really looking for in communities for the beta are, we have, we're looking for a variety of communities, but specifically I'd say they're all somewhat mission-driven, meaning they have somewhat of a reason for existing. <laughs> and uh, for example, um, we have some artists who are um, musicians, artists um, who are using the platform and exploring it with their community as a way to engage with, um, you know, with the music that they're dropping, the NFT drops, have conversation. In console, you can list events for upcoming events, um, voting, all of these kind of things that make it really nice to help get community input. Um, so that's on the creative side. We also have NFT communities. Um, there's a lot of NFT communities um, that are bound together by ownership of their NFT. And, you know, for them, what we're finding, especially these mission-driven you know, communities, is that the onboarding experience is really broken. I'd say in Web3, but just everywhere. <laughs> like, And that's exactly what you're describing, is what we hear over and over again. People will do an NFT drop, or they'll have a very mission podcast, and they say, oh my god, I'm so excited to join your project. And they get, hey, join, just click this Discord link. And they click the Discord link, and they get in there, 
And immediately you're basically doing your taxes. You're like, okay, there's eight steps. You have to go connect your wallet. Then when you get there, you have to file your, your 52555 and you're like doing all of these crazy steps, mostly t- because Discord was made for gamers. Discord was not made for Web3. So you have to do all these workarounds to get somebody onboarded. And then when you get in there, you're just thrown into, um, I don't know, essentially a rave. There's just people like chatting about different things and GMing, and it's very confusing. Um, and so what we asked is with console, you know, how can we work alongside these communities? And that's why I said we're accepting people right now, because we're really looking for people we could work alongside and help observe, help work with. You know, we have a team of eight devs and an and a extra third-party security team that audits and works with us. And so, you know, we're really dedicated to using these resources um, side by side with a few select communities that can help test out new features to help really improve this onboarding and really improve um, this noisiness so that these communities can grow, accept more people. If they have a mission, they can they could share that mission more easily. If they have votes, they can more easily update their community so that they get more voter participation. These are all things that we're, we're working on and just testing week over week. Tell me a little bit about like the long-term vision. So in a perfect world, console uh, is out of you know, private beta or closed beta, and you know, it's now maybe public beta. Um, you know, communities are more easily onboarded. They can start using console more freely. There is a need for these communities to build some composable experiences from maybe some of their activity uh, on console or their the identities that they've created on console, whether that's their Web3 wallet or something else, their ENS. Tell me a little bit about the vision for building composable experiences uh, from your perspective and maybe console's perspective in where does consoles fit in that like interoperable ecosystem that is Web3? Yeah, console is as composable AF, <laughs> or at least that's where we are working towards. Um, we're really happy about some of our early integrations and partners who have come to help us integrate with their existing platforms. And like as you mentioned, Web3 makes it easy um, because many of the tools that the communities are using, whether it's Gnosis Safe for storing shared assets, whether it's Snapshot for voting, all these kind of things are fairly composable from their roots and open source so that we, we at console can easily, you know, integrate existing tool sets into what we're building. So at console, we're not trying to just build everything ourselves and like capture the market of every single thing you could want to do. And we don't need to, right? There's already like safe, right, on Ethereum, the Gnosis safe, is already doing a great job of treasury management and ownership, right? So what we can do and what we're doing at console is integrating that in so that if you have a safe, you could just bring it and then bring it to, to bring it here. Um, and for the future integrations, we're working on ways that we can allow that data then to become more programmably integrated with the chat. So if you're in chat, you can get treasury updates. You can get a really nice graphical interface. So it's taking the data we have on-chain and off-chain and bringing that into the community so that it's all in one place. Um, I would say, furthermore, we're imagining the ability to create additional modules that for developers can add to the platform. So imagine like an app store where you can come and make your own integrations 
and people can choose from. At this point right now, all of the modules were working closely with um, a select group of people because we are still early and testing them. But we do imagine like longer, you asked about longer term vision, like opening that up so that people could, you know, integrate chat and that console becomes more of, and this is a quote from, from somebody uh, in Orange Dow who's using our uh, early beta who said, wow, it's like console is the operating system for Web3. And I thought that that was like a really great thing to aspire to because what he was seeing was that you can have this operating system, like this kind of central place, your console community, and then it brings in and connects all the Lego pieces of your community in one place. Access, and then all the plumbing I mentioned before about ownership so that you also own all of that data underneath the hood. I like this idea of the evolution of the operating system of Web3 because I remember when at least this kind of uh, idea of DAOs kind of started to uh, pick up speed. I think initially the idea of like the operating of Web3 was this very uh, rigid framework for operating a DAO in terms of its governance, in terms of its um, you know communication practices. Uh, in terms of you know um, you know the way that people could do soft and and hard governance within it, uh, token sharing, all of these different things. It was it was a very rigid system, and even a lot of those same uh, organizations that were building that tooling, I've seen them softening their stance. Uh, more recently, to quote one Aragon, I saw one of my good friends, Samantha J, uh, do a write up on their own kind of internal. Uh, study to uh, create their own DAO and the exercise they went through to understand how what this framework would look like in terms of like operating a DAO and it's 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 night and day right from this very rigid framework to something a little bit uh, lighter and more flexible and to think of like console as also positioning itself as an operating system. Uh, you know, of Web3, maybe not so specifically DAOs. It's really cool because for me, one of the easiest things for people to do in Web3 is just to be social, to connect with friends, to connect with projects, to hang, to talk. And so to think of console from a more social perspective, coming together to br- or, or, or bringing people together and then providing these interoperable uh, tools to be able to connect to it, to then create a much more dynamic experience. It's actually really interesting, really fun. It may, at least for me, it makes a lot more sense because, you know, I'm, I'm a social guy. I, I would prefer to start by engaging with people, learning who they are, what, what's fun, how do we relate, and so on, and then adding up maybe some of this more complex system like governance and tokens to it afterwards, not starting with, with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that that just unlocks like a whole future of creativity. So to wrap it up, um, give me, you know, just a general sense of like maybe some of the things that you've seen in, since we were talking about decentralized social. In the decentralized social, you know, in terms of like console, I think there is a very big social uh, element to it in terms of how people connect and relate and uh, maybe even uh, integrate other tools in the future through these uh, interoperability. Give me a sense of like decentralized social uh, console 
and just the general evolution of Web3? Because I think decentralized social would be kind of like that concept that has been picking up a lot more uh, traction in conversations, um, which I think could potentially be like another spark for innovation in this space. Yeah, so when I talk, think about decentralized social, it all comes back to where we started the conversation with, which is this idea of peer-to-peer, you-to-me, exchanging Napster was music, Bitcoin is money, decentralized social is the, the value of the information that we're exchanging. We're exchanging value. It's information, it's conversation, it's maybe following, whatever it is. It's you and me exchanging conversation. And in a way that we're doing it directly and that a third party that came in, whether it's somebody owning it or somebody that wants to break it, that we can keep conversing and exchanging regardless of if somebody else tried to stop us. Like that's really the idea of it. And that's, you know, that's the way the internet works right now. The internet is this thing. I think we don't appreciate it enough. The internet is a gift to humanity. No one person owns the internet. You do not need permission to get on the internet to hit HTTP. Um, you, you know, no one's taking five cents every time you go to an HTTP address, right? That's so, so this is what we're building on a history of uh, openness and decentralized web sharing, web play sharing, just taking that to the next, um, the next step. And what I really think in the next year is going to be the big unlock is identity. It's going to be all about owning your identity, owning your social graph. I think a few leaders in this space, ENS, the .eth name, ETH, is really is really leading the way for owning your namespace, your domain. I'm Castig, C-A-S-T-I-G.eth. And anytime you see that on the web uh, or if you see that on a social site, you can know that that's me with 100% uh, you know, uh, verification. I can even prove it by signing a message with my wallet, which is a feature of a wallet, which we could you know talk about. But the, the idea is like, I own that name. I prove it. Uh, Instagram, whoever can sh- sh- shut me down, I will always own that identity. And at console, our first step into what we believe is the next year of identity is being the most important part of uh, the first building block of decentralized social is we've done an ENS, an integration with ENS. Um, there's going to be a, a big announcement about that coming out soon, or maybe it's already out now. You could read about it uh, on our blog, and, and CoinDesk is going to cover it. So we're really excited about that, which means that for, for the first time, you can, if you have an ENS name, an ETH name, you can come and build your social network, your social app, um, and just use console for the chat platform. So again, you own your identity, you own your chat. We're just using us as a platform. That's the first step. Um, Beyond that, I think if you're listening, other things to look out for, which I'm really excited about in the decentralized social space, very excited about Farcaster. They've done an amazing job. Farcaster is both a protocol and an app. I won't go too far into that, what that means, but um, but it means that there's a lot of potential to both build on it and use it today. Um, so yeah, we're looking really closely at console, potential Farcaster integrants, um, and Lens is also interesting as well, doing something similar where your social graph is on the blockchain. Uh, it's Polygon they use. 
uh, in a way that you can own your social graph, own your data. So these communities are really going to build and, and rise over the next year, two years, three years. And I think any platforms that want to capitalize on that and grow and really join the movement will be the ones that do these integrations first. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think that at console we're leading the way for what I hope other people, you know, begin to take notice of. Um, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people have been doing this and I just say probably one of the, one of the first few, maybe hundred, hundred apps on the internet that are, that are really starting to get all of these integrations in place so that users can own their own identity and create that first domino effect that really brings us to peer to peer social decentralized, uh, decentralized social media. That's wonderful. I mean, you really just kind of captured a lot of my own feelings as well. So I'm, there's a lot of synergy here, I think. I think this has been a really wonderful conversation. There's one last question that I ask, um, and that is, is there someone or something that has been hugely influential to you in your crypto journey? It could be a book. It could be a blog. It could be someone, like a thought leader. What 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 is that? And um, And the reason why I ask is, it's always fun to share this with our listeners so that they have more resources to be able to also help them along their crypto journey. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give two. I think maybe the obvious one and just is Balaji. I think his work on the network state is really at the forefront. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but I think that his like, ability to work in public and ideate on the future of society, government, state, like and what this and how crypto transforms that is like pretty amazing. So listen to any eight hour interview with him. <laughs> There's an eight hour interview that I listened to on the uh, Lexman podcast. That would be like, we could do a shorter one too, but I'm just saying there's, there's no shortage of information out there with Balaji. And the number two would I say that, you know, which started it all for me is the writing of Kevin Kelly, which people are more familiar with now because of his blog and, his 1000 true fans idea. But before all that in the nineties, uh, before I was doing any of this, uh, there was a book called out of control that he wrote and um, out of control really just predicted uh, like a large part of the decentralized world of web three in the nineties. Fun fact, it was required reading for anyone that was on the set of the matrix. Go read about that. But really I think Kevin Kelly is just like, really strongly predicting the future. And there's just so many principles that he can has distilled about the intersection between, because what he learned about technology is what he had learned studying biology. And so a lot of it is looking at how bees work and how decentralized swarms work and making lessons about how technology might work, and a lot of it he got right. And I think that there's there's further lessons to be mined from uh, from his early writing. So Kevin Kelly, out of control. It's a bit of a long read, but I think it's worth it. And that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Chris and Console, you can follow them on Twitter at Castig and Console, respectively. And please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review. It truly does help for other people like yourself to discover this content. And if you'd like to listen to other conversations like this one, go to our website at cryptosapiens.xyz. Until next time, stay brainy.